This is The Bittersweet Life. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. I'm Katie Sewell. I've been in the radio business for nearly 20 years, mostly working for public radio in the United States. In 2013, I quit my stable job and I moved to Rome for just a year. That's where this podcast begins. And if you're new, don't be afraid to start at the beginning. I'd hate for you to miss out on the adventure. That adventure might inspire you to do something crazy, like quit your stable job and move to Rome for just one year. And my co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer and author of Midnight in the Piazza. And she's also an expat who moved to Rome over a decade ago with the determination to stay whatever it took. She's also my childhood friend. I met her on the school bus in the sixth grade. I hope you like the show, and if you do, tell a friend and take the time to write us a review. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I am joined by Beth Howard. She is the author of the new book, Hausfrau Honeymoon, Love, Language, and Other Misadventures in Germany. She's also author of two other memoirs, Making Peace and Miss American Pie. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, Real Simple, Country Living, and More, and she's also been featured on CNN, CBS This Morning, and NPR, and now she's on The Bittersweet Life. Thanks so much for joining us, Beth. (laughs) It's great to be here. Thank you. So today, uh, I want to talk about your whole story, but I really did want to take up this issue of the trailing spouse, and for those of you who don't know, the trailing spouse is how people often refer to the individual in a couple who moves with their partner somewhere new because the partner has an opportunity there, most often a job, but there's sometimes it's about family or it's an educational opportunity. And I guess the trailing comes from that individual being a person who's going along, even though they don't have a specific purpose in the new place yet. It's a, quite a bit about what your book, House for a Honeymoon, is about. But let's start with you, Beth. Can you uh, lay out where your book begins for the people who haven't yet seen it? Right. Gosh, where does it begin? I'm, <laughs> I had taken a sabbatical from a stressful dot-com job and uh well actually it does, the book itself starts with me landing in Germany I do but I fill in lots of backstory so yes the thing is I had this stressful dot-com job and I quit and then I went off to bake pies like a little pie baking sabbatical and I had taken a break from that job in Malibu and I did a little road trip up to Oregon and I went to Crater Lake National Park and it was just like a last minute split second decision of like oh should I go and stop or not so I took the fork in the road and lo and behold that's where I met my husband and his name was Marcus and he worked for Daimler which is the company that makes Mercedes-Benz and he was just in Oregon on business for a couple of months and I talked with him maybe 15 minutes in the parking lot I handed him my card and we had a transcontinental relationship for about 18 months and then we got married and I agreed to move to Germany because he had a you know this big job and he was on the executive track and he was up for a big promotion. So I agreed to move over there for two years um, until he got the promotion and then we would make a change. That was the agreement. <laughs> yes. Was he from Germany? He was German. Yes. Daimler is an international company. So, you know, conceivably you could live anywhere. And he loved being in the U.S. and his English was perfect. 
therein lies the rub, you know, like that's what my <laughs> book is a lot about how hard it was to learn the language and how, how that made my life so challenging. Yeah. What German town do you end up living in? We were in Stuttgart, which is the headquarters for Daimler. And it's kind of known as, a, you know, it's the automotive center and Porsche is there. Lots of other little companies that make things like seatbelts and the seatbelt buckles and the screws that hold the bumpers on. I mean, just all kinds of automotive support suppliers or something. So obviously you're in love. So that's a factor of why you decide to make this decision. But you were also a professional, granted on a break, making pies, but you were a professional person kind of mid-career in a way. What factors were going into your decision to actually decide to make this big of a move? That's a good question because, you know, we had sort of finally gotten into the internet era, right? So you could work from anywhere. That's how I argued, you know, that, hey, as long as I have an internet connection, I can live anywhere. I, my career has been sounds disparate, but it's really all connected, except for maybe the pie thing. But I, you know, I had been a journalist for magazines. I had been a dot-com producer. I had worked in Seattle prior to moving to Germany for Microsoft as a contractor. So all those things combined, I could surely cobble some work together based overseas. I also did had done PR. So I just figured I can write for magazines. I can do maybe some PR projects. I can do some remote web producing stuff. And that is what I ended up doing. I Microsoft hired me to do some editing for some conference work. And that turned out to be a great gig because I could work from home on my own time. And by home, I mean a tiny little one-bedroom apartment in Stuttgart. <laughs> you know? And uh, in between going to German classes, mind you, I would do this editing and good news about that was it was for a conference. So I'd get to come back to Seattle for four weeks at a time, sometimes five weeks to work on the conference. And that was really perfect because then I got to touch base with home, home being USA in general, and be gainfully employed. That was something that sustained me for quite a while. As far as writing for magazines, though, I had written for magazines like Shape and Fitness and Women's Health and Sports and things, and they weren't interested in the international angles. So that was really frustrating for me as a journalist. My beat was didn't work out too well in that regard. Didn't you also do some travel writing for a time? Yeah, I mean, that's part of the adventure sports stuff. But a lot of those magazines, I'm sure you know this, you know, these magazines are, have gone out of business. The yes. whole landscape has changed so much. So there wasn't as much of a market for what I did because they're just the magazines had folded, you know, women's sports and fitness gone. I mean, like a lot of them. Yeah. I was a contributing editor to Sports Illustrated for Women, and that's gone. So it was just they kept kept disappearing. Now, as far as living abroad, Germany or otherwise, was that a fantasy of yours, a dream of yours, or was this sort of an unexpected twist in your life? So I that's a good question, which I appreciate, because I had expected it to be easy. I expected it to be easy to live in Germany because it's Western Europe. How different could it be? I visited there many times. It was always fun to visit, but living there was a different thing. And living there as a trailing spouse, that was the kicker because I had spent lots of time overseas. I had lived in Kenya. I had lived in Switzerland. I had been in Mexico. Like I would Jamaica, you know, I mean, not like long term, but maybe three months to a year in each place. I had a lot of countries under my belt, Thailand for three months. I mean, far flung. Yeah. Right. How hard would it be to live in Germany? That's like practically being in the States, you know? 
compared to, say, Kenya or Thailand, for example. But, you know, I had never been a trailing spouse. And that puts a whole different level of pressure on you because I wasn't there by my own free will. I was there. Well, I mean, you could argue I was. I was there because I wanted to be with my husband. But I would not have chosen to be in that place. I was there because that was his place. Well, and you also were stuck there as long as he or both of you, I guess, decided that his job was worthwhile and worth sticking around for, you're kind of in that place, which would be different than Kenya, where you could say, well, three months, that's good. I think I'll head home now. Yeah. But I mean, if it's your husband and three months in Kenya and he's still there, it's like, no, you, you don't want to leave the person you love. So you try to tough it out. That's what I did. I mean, I just tried everything to make it work because I wanted our marriage to work. Right. But he had said two years, and that's what I signed up for. And then he got his promotion and then delivers the news to me that he got the promotion. And, oh, by the way, that means I have to commit to another two years here at headquarters. Right. (laughs) I was like, no, I can't do it anymore. I mean, Katie, I cannot tell you how many hours I spent in the classroom trying to learn German. I tried so hard and it's like math. I I suck at math, you know? It's just like it's a language that everything comes out in a different order and you know, these sentence structures are just a big jumble and I can never keep everything straight in my head and the vocabulary. And then, you know, you learn high German in the classroom and then you get out on the street and they speak in a dialect which has sounds nothing like what you've learned in class. And and Stuttgart, in fact, had a reputation for having like one of the most difficult dialects in the entire country. Mm. You know, they sort of slur their words together and drop syllables and and have different a different vocabulary for different things. So, yeah, it was really frustrating. And it wasn't just the language, right? It was I mean, there's such an isolation that comes from not being able to really have a good grasp of the language. But. I remember one example you gave in the book, you were just talking about some of the differences in Germany as an American living there and the different things that you experienced. And one of them that I stands out in my mind for some reason was you said that Americans show enthusiasm and the Germans do not. Right. That was the scene when I, we got ice cream and I was just like, oh my God, this is so good. You know, I'm like passionate about my food. And I was raving about it and Marcus and the proprietor of the ice cream shop, they were like exchanging a look or a comment and they were like, oh yeah, we like the ice cream, but we just don't go gushing about it like you do. They thought that was a typical American thing. Was it more things like that that where Germany just didn't suit your personality? Well, like when I went to the grocery store and got yelled at for not laying my wine bottles down on the conveyor belt. Well, I didn't know. So if you would have just asked me nicely, I would have done it. But instead, it was like this public humiliation. And <laughs> and that's the part that I found really difficult to deal with is um, that directness. It was just a little too harsh and abrupt for my sensitive skin. Yeah, you also tell that story about trying to get your wedding dress cleaned at a dry cleaner. Right. So I had spilled champagne on my wedding dress. But I had also cut the tags out of my dress because, you know, when they had so those cleaning instructions on the inside and they're scratching against your skin, I'm like, I just cut, I cut them out. I thought nothing of it until I got to the dry cleaner and I got, they read me the riot act for cutting <laughs> out the instructions. You guys are a dry cleaner. You should know how to, this isn't like some exotic fabric. It's just some satin polyester, but 
anyway, no, they had to chew me out for cutting out those tags. And, you know, and again, the language barrier, like I couldn't tell you exactly what they were saying because they were talking so fast. And plus I was so terrified that I just, my mind just shut down. I couldn't make out the words, but I certainly made out the sentiment. So um, yeah, <laughs> those, those were the times I went home crying a lot. And, you know, and some of the stuff isn't really that favorable about the country, you know, and some people have loved living there. Some Americans just take to it. And I, I just it just wasn't the right place for me. So, you know, I I kind of want to apologize about that in a way, but it didn't stop me from being perfectly honest in my book about my experience. And again, this was my personal experience based on my perspective of life. Yes. Another thing you found in living in Germany that was perhaps unexpected at first was that the system, the cultural system there was arranged so that women could stay home and raise children. How was that for you? Well, the hardest thing for me is that Marcus, when he visited me in the US, you know, we had 18 months of this courtship and he would take his vacations when he would come to visit me. So he'd be with me for a month at a time. He was doing all the dishes. He was driving me to work. He was like the wife, you know, he was taking care of me and supporting me. And it really actually felt more like we were on equal footing, you know, sort of evolved male. But once I moved to Germany and I was on his turf, then he, he was suddenly this complete chauvinist. He expected me to do all the cooking and the cleaning and that I would just wait for him for whatever long hours he worked at the office, I would have dinner waiting for him no matter what time he got home. And I was like, dude, <laughs> no, that's like, this doesn't work like that. But what my observation was that, in fact, that's what these kind of male executives that worked at Daimler, that's what they did. And some of his coworkers, I remember, and this is not in the book, but I remember them being so surprised that I was so knowledgeable about what was going on in Marcus's job and what was going on in the workplace, because they said, oh, we don't talk to our wives about work. That's even more chauvinistic, right? I mean, <laughs> at least I want to know what my husband's doing in his work day, and I want to be involved. I want to be a partner, a true partner, not just a housewife. You do encounter this notion, basically, that you should feel grateful. You should be happy. You have a husband that has a good job. You don't have to work. Did you feel like at times that these discomforted feelings were you being ungrateful somehow? No, I don't think that it was that. I think it was just so much more internal for me, more more of my own personal dissatisfaction. I kind of live my life like I don't really care that much what other people think about me. I, I try not to, you know, like mm -hmm. not everyone's going to approve and not everyone's going to agree with how I conduct myself. But it was just for me so internal, like I was so lonely and I felt so humiliated because I not just be, by getting yelled at, but because of the language like, you know, Marcus's English was better than mine. That's not fair. <laughs> you know, that's a second language. Jeez. <laughs> you know? And, and that was, you could argue that, yes, all these Germans speak English. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is they all, yes, they speak perfect English. They're speaking English a lot at work, you know, at Daimler, like they speak almost as much English than they do German. So, but, you know, you, you get to a party, a dinner party or a restaurant or something, everyone's, they break into German. Of course they do. We would too in English, you know, if it were here. So, you know, keeping up with that on the social side of things was also really alienating for me because I couldn't participate. And even if I tried to speak my German, it was so embarrassing. You know, I was 
spoke like a kindergartner probably. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I didn't even want to try and it just, it just, it was really hard on my self-esteem. Most people haven't read the book yet. Of course, they'll run out and get a copy right now. You do, I don't want anyone to think that you don't put in the effort. You said you do hours of classes, but you're out there doing yoga. You're trying to meet other trailing spouses. Was there anything you did that helped at all with the loneliness that you were experiencing? Writing this book. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it really, because what I got into this routine where I got out of, I had to get out of the apartment. You know, I couldn't just be alone in this little tiny apartment all day. That was number one. So I got a motor scooter that was almost single-handedly one of the more important things I had because then I I got to ride all over and feel the wind in my face and it just gave me the sense of freedom. And I found this really great little coffee house that was not too far from the apartment and I would take my laptop and go there every day and write and it was just really wonderful cozy atmosphere with an exposed brick wall and nice lighting and comfortable sofas, you know, kind of hip place and it felt kind of more like my world, my comfort zone. So I would seek refuge in this coffee house and I would seek refuge in writing, which is, you know, it's always been a a great form of therapy. Like I took all of these stories that were all these crazy anecdotes of the incidents, like the the grocery store and the dry cleaner and all all that, you know, and I wrote about them and tried to make light of it in, in a way like tried to poke fun at myself, but also just, you know, the absurdity of it. That's great material for a book. (laughs) That's how I coped probably the best is having the freedom of my motor scooter, having a place to go write. As I wrote too, we also got a puppy. So I thought, well, maybe that'll help, you know, like you have a baby to save your marriage. So we got a puppy instead. (laughs) But that didn't actually help things much. I had company at least. Right. Is it when he gets this second promotion and he comes home and says, two more years, is that, what's the breaking point for you? Because you're so patient. You try so hard to make this fit. Oh, I suppose there were, you know, multiple breaking points. Like I came home from yoga and cried about getting yelled at from by the yoga teacher for not having my feet in the right position. It's just like, I mean, there were so many times that could have felt like a breaking point to me. It was just... I hung in there as long as I could. I guess, you know, when I finally went and got therapy or tried to see a therapist and how that turned into a disaster of its own kind, even though the therapist was American, what more can I do? The only solution I came up with at that point was like, you know what? I love my husband, but I'm not healthy by staying here in this state of mind. This is not healthy for me. What can I do to, for self-preservation? And I decided that I was happiest when I was working and, you know, not necessarily working in a coffee house alone in Stuttgart, Germany, but rather, you know, go back to the U.S. and get a job, a real job. So I, I did end up doing that. I got a magazine editor position. It didn't last, <laughs> but, but at least it was a way out. And I went back and forth a couple of times. I mean, there were a number of times where I said, that's it, I'm done. And then I would go back and then I would go, nope, that's it, I'm done again. And I would go back, you know, then I would come back to the States and I'd go back. I think I probably did that about at least three times. And um, and then finally, I, I just, I think it was after three and a half years, <laughs> I didn't make it to four years, but that's when I was like, no, I just can't. But that is where, do I dare give away the... Um, you know, the the spoiler, do I do the spoiler alert or not? Sure, spoiler alert. Oh, all right. Well, so he finally does get a job transfer Mm -hmm. to the US. Yeah. But you know what? Trailing spouse theme, 
the US job, as it turns out, and he didn't tell me this right away, that was only like supposed to be a year long contract. And then uh, it ended up being a year and a half. But then then he got transferred to Saltillo, Mexico. <laughs> so I went with him to Mexico and started the cycle all over again. Lonely in the house, trying to learn the language. I got, you know, the company paid for me to go to uh, language school to get it. In fact, I had a private tutor. So that was a luxury of being a trailing spouse when you're husband has a job with a corporation like that, there are definitely perks to it, but still, <laughs> it didn't take the difficulties of having to recreate a whole new home life, a whole new network of friends and setting up a new house, starting all over. So yeah, just it could have kept going. <laughs> yeah, it's complicated because it's it's both adventure and like new life experiences but it's also, like you said, sort of this beginning again. Some people do think of it as a setback every single time. Like if you have a job, then you give it up, start again somewhere else. My fantasy was that this was going to be the ideal lifestyle for me. I'm a writer. I can live anywhere. Okay, I'll just, I'll get to live in all these different places with my husband. How perfect, you know? It didn't turn out like that. That's the most disappointing thing, I guess I could say, is that, I just didn't have it in me to be a trailing spouse. I'm way too independent and strong-willed and I want to do my thing. I couldn't just give up as much as I thought I could to do his thing. Yeah. At least in his on his terms or in his locations. I wouldn't have chosen Saltillo, Mexico or Stuttgart, Germany. And and yet, I have to add I'm grateful for those experiences. My life is richer for those experiences. I have a much broader understanding of the world because of each of those places. Is it a letdown because you felt like you were a different kind of person than you actually ended up being? Where is the disappointment? I'm disappointed in myself because I feel like, oh, if only I could have been more tolerant, if only I could have been more patient. If, and it's like, oh, come on. You know, I was, my friends will tell you, my family will tell you, they're like, we've never seen you work so hard at anything. So stop being so hard on yourself. It's, it's just how it went. I, I wish it would have been more positive. I wish it would have been easier. I wish I would have assimilated more quickly. And, and, and I wish I would have assimilated period, but I just, it just, it wasn't right for me. Yeah. I'm sure there's someone at least listening right now that feels exactly how you are feeling in Germany and in Mexico, turns out. Do you have any advice based on your experience or insight, maybe uh, something that helped you or something that they should be aware of or any kind of thing to offer? Don't be so hard on yourself for one thing. I think just take advantage of being in a different culture. Like, soak it up as much of it as you can. Like we did a lot of traveling and that was so the best part, really. We went to Italy and France and we traveled all over Germany. So that was amazing, you know, to get to see so much more than just the city where we were living. That's a huge plus, I would say. That's what I would recommend. And yeah, I don't know. I, I just immerse yourself as much as you can. I Everyone's experience is going to be different. Well, and I want to ask about the relationship, too, because we did have an emailer that we talked about on the show quite a few episodes ago who was sort of weighing these similar questions that you're weighing in this book. She was living abroad with a boyfriend and was finding that, you know, the only thing keeping her where she was besides the not wanting to give up was 
this boyfriend, but everything else wasn't adding up. But it's so hard to consider because there's so much pressure on the relationship at that point. If everything else isn't adding up, there's just so much pressure on this one person or this one relationship to be the one good thing. Do you have any insight from that? Because you were in the same situation where the relationship ends up taking on so much weight in your life. I don't really know what to say about that. I mean, Marcus was, he was sort of helpless in a way. Like he had his job that was important to him. And that was the biggest issue in our relationship was that I felt like his job was the priority and not me. And if he could have perhaps given me a little bit more of the attention I needed or the t- not just attention, but the time, maybe that would have made a difference. Maybe I could have lived anywhere with him if I felt like I was really, truly a priority to him. Yeah. So I'm assuming you two are not together anymore. So uh, Marcus died in 2009. Oh. Yeah. Um, that's not in the book. Read the next book. <laughs> There's a sequel. Um, but yeah, Marcus after Mexico, guess what? Transferred back to Germany. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm not going. I said, I just told him I'm not going. And he came back over to the U.S. to um, go through our stuff in storage. And while he was there in Portland, he had a ruptured aorta and died. Whoa. Yeah. And he was 43 years old. So that's how the story really ends. Well, wow. So. wow. What was that like for you? I still can't even talk about it. I just... I have a huge lump in my throat right now. So, uh, yeah. Um, no, my next book is um, called Making Peace, a Memoir of Love, Loss, and Pie. And that explains in full detail the level of my grief and the enormity of it. And, you know, and it's something that will never leave, you know. And and uh, I had what they call complicated grief because I had asked him for a divorce finally just before he died. So there's the survivor's guilt exponential because of that, you know. So, of course, I tend to want to live my life in reverse these days. I want to go back and fix everything and do it differently and do it better and make it right. But, you know, of course, that's impossible. What would make it right in your, like, imagination? In my imagination? (laughs) Yes, it's so vivid. Yeah, I would be fluent in German and Spanish. Yes. <laughs> I would be, uh, you know, maybe a lot more fulfilled in my own career and ma- and have managed that in parallel with Marcus's career somehow, you know, instead of depending on so much on him for my happiness, I would have found a way to make my work more fulfilling and not be so hard on him or myself. And yeah, we'd be living happily ever after. So, wow. yeah. So what are you doing today? So I... Making peace is how I dealt with my grief. It's about how it led me back to my native Iowa, which I was born and raised here. And I talk about that in Hausfrau Honeymoon, like I'm smack in the middle of the German belt here in the U.S. (laughs) Sixth largest German populace in the country, you know, or German ancestry. So, yeah, so I live in the German belt here, ironically. And, um, you know, there's so much of the personalities around here where I live that I see the Germanness, which is just, it's just ironic, right? But anyway, my grief journey took me back to my native Iowa, and I strangely stumbled upon a uh, house for rent, which I was planning on just going back to California and starting my life over, getting my career going again. And instead, life had other plans for me, and I rented the American Gothic House in Eldon, Iowa, 
lived there for four years. The Gothic house is, it's the little white farmhouse pictured in the Grant Wood painting, you know, the couple with the pitchfork. Yeah. Yeah. So who knew? It's a real house and it was for rent for $250 a month. So that's one of the things that I like, hope that people take away from my my story uh, is that hey, sometimes life presents you with these opportunities and you may have had other plans, but it's okay to change those plans and follow this other trail if, you know, if it's beckoning. And for whatever reason, Iowa beckoned me and I just, you know, I left, I graduated early from high school because I couldn't stand living in Iowa. I wanted to go <laughs> see the world. And you know what? I did see the world. And it's like that T.S. Eliot quote, you know, I ended up right back where I started. And and when I lived in the American Gothic house, I ran this little pie stand, the pitchfork pie stand. And I had a lot of customers and one of them happened to be a farmer of German descent, of course. Um, <laughs> and he lives uh, an hour away from the American Gothic house on his thousand acre farm. And uh, it wasn't a straight path getting here, but after some fits and starts in that relationship, I have now, am, we're not married and I don't plan to get married again, but I consider Doug my partner. And so, yeah, I live on a thousand acre farm with a redheaded farmer. <laughs> and what creatures? goats and we have dogs and cats and let's see cows like right now today it's calving season so there's probably been three new calves born since I've been talking to you and <laughs> oh no seriously and yeah so they grow corn and soybeans and they grow alfalfa for hay to feed the animals so yeah it's a full-on working farm and I consider myself a city girl. So this is a whole new adventure. And guess what? A whole new story to write a book about. So yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, last question you bring up in this book, the question of home, which is something that we talk about a lot on this show of what is home. And we've looked at it from so many different angles. Is it a physical place? Is it a state of mind? Is it a place that you feel the most yourself? Have you come to any conclusions through all this adventure and travel around the world? That's a question I was just asking myself this morning, in fact, writing in my journal about it. That is such a huge question, because after I left the American Gothic House, I traveled on a round-the-world ticket. Marcus had left behind 400,000 frequent flyer miles, and I was able to use them. So I went all the way around the world, and I went to nine countries, and I was kind of in my mind thinking, well, maybe I'll find a new home. You know, maybe maybe I'll find a new country. And uh and I ended up back on this farm and, okay, it's my native, it's my birthplace, my native state, but is that what makes it home? Or, you know, is the farm home because of the person I'm with? Or is it the landscape? Is it the the memories of this landscape? I don't have an answer to that either, but it's always a good question to explore. Yeah. Well, and I want to come to your farm next calving season to see these cows just falling out all over the place. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> just falling out all over the place. <laughs> uh, they're pretty cute, but God, they, they grow up so fast. They walk from the second they're born. So you're like, oh, okay, well, on to the next one. It's incredible. Beth Howard is the author of the new book, Hausfrau Honeymoon, Love, Language, and Other Misadventures in Germany. How can people find this book? And keep in mind, we have people all over the world listening. Great. Uh, well, first of all, of course, there's the big 
Amazon, and um, but there's also IndieBound, so you can order it. Um, you can also order it through your local bookstore. Some bookstores actually do have it on the shelves in some libraries, but yeah, you can always request it from a library, and you can definitely order it from your bookstore. So yeah, it's out there, and and people seem to be really liking it, and I appreciate that because I was afraid I was gonna maybe make some people angry that I wasn't always so favorable <laughs> about Germany, but in fact, people have thanked me for just being so honest about it. And I've had a number of people say, that's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard to feel like you're struggling alone. You're just the one person that isn't enjoying the experience you thought would be such a such an amazing time. That's the whole point of writing to me is to help other people feel less alone in this world. Because, you know, if you had that experience, chances are somebody else had that same experience. And, you know, we have a lot of shame. We don't want to talk about it. Oh, I, I you know, don't maybe didn't want to dwell on the negative. But I, if you share it, maybe you could even laugh about it. That's therapeutic in itself. It is. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Oh, thank you. And I really love your show. I'm really grateful to be on it. Thanks. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Join us again. Bye. Thanks for listening and for telling a friend about the show. And thank you for your support financially. We can't wait to write you a handwritten thank you note to show you how much it means to us. You are spreading the word and supporting the show financially directly affects whether or not this program continues. So if you love it, support it. Find a donate link at thebittersweetlife.net or in our show notes. Thank you so much for taking the time. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.